Thank you, Sandy. That was nice. Let's pray, and we'll get right into the Word today, and you can see title um, in our series, Authentic, Authentic Jesus, I Am the Gate. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Lord, again, we, we just want to say how much we, we just deeply need you. Lord, we give you our hearts today. We give you our lives. We give you our minds. We give you our ears that we might hear what you're saying to the church. Lord God, um, transform us. Holy Spirit, come and enlighten the Word of God and touch our hearts in a very real way. And Lord, we just love you and uh, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> there was a story told uh, from many years ago about in the 1950s um, when the coal mining towns of the southeast were way more prevalent than they are now. A lot of those towns have shut down and the coal mining industry is not, not, not so much anymore. But it used to be a booming time. And there was a story told of a, a little small church that ministered in a coal mining town. And this one gentleman would go around and he would pick up kids uh, to take them to church. And he would go through the, uh, the mountains there in the, into the communities and he came up on a house and saw two boys out playing in the front yard. And it's an older brother, younger brother, um, about 10 and 5, and, uh, and, and just asked him if they would like to go to church. And and they, you know, in, in, in the exchange, found out that uh, their dad worked in the coal mines. Their mom had died, and uh, but they would ask their dad if they could come to church. And so the, the 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 man that would give the kids rides, he would he said, "All right, I'll be back next week." And he came back, and the dad had given permission. The dad, you know, didn't go to church, and it was just something for the boys to do. And so this guy took them to church, where they began to hear the gospel for the first time. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to share with somebody the gospel, and, 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 and they've never heard some of the things or the components about the gospel. So it's kind of hard in our Western culture that people haven't heard at least parts of it, but it is a refreshing experience when you talk to somebody that's never heard the gospel before, or they only have kind of a, maybe somewhat of a religious thing. I had an opportunity um, several times to do that, and it, and it is amazing when you see the light bulb go on and their eyes kind of get bit. Really, that's what happened. And, uh, and, and so this is what kind of happened to um, these boys, mainly the older one. He was hearing the gospel for the first time at this church, and they were talking about the love of Jesus and Jesus dying on a cross for us. And he was just blown away that somebody could love you that much that they would give their life for you. And so he was taking it all in. This was an unchurched kid. He had never been in church before, and he's watching the things that happen. And can you imagine seeing it from the eyes of someone who's never seen what we do before? Some of it, I think, can be kind of maybe funny. Why do you do that? But one of the things he saw was the offering plates that would go by, and we have little bags that we pass. But, you know, you guys, some of you guys remember those, the gold plates, you know. I guess that makes it a little more holy. I don't know if the gold plate... Um, 
And he would see that go by and put, people put money in. And so he had these questions and he would ask this gentleman that gave rides, he, you know, what, what do they do when they were doing that? And, and he said, when, he said what, what, why were they taking people's money? And the guy explained to him, he said, well, you know, that, that's where you give an offering and, uh, and, and that money goes to tell other people about Christ and it's to build the kingdom of God. He's trying to explain it in kid terms and this kid was just taken back and he said, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have any money to give Jesus. And the guy goes, that's, you know, it's okay, you know, you, you just keep coming to church and this, this kid would not let it go. So finally one Sunday, this kind of came to a head where this kid was just, he's watching all of this and steps out into the aisle and takes one of the offering plates from one of the ushers. And uh, of course, you know, what is this kid going to do with this? And what he does is he sets it in the floor and he stands in it. And he just raised his hands. He said, Jesus, I don't have any money, but I give you myself. It was a sermon for that day in that little church. The reason why I share that is even somewhat what Jim and Patty shared. Um, I think that it's so easy for us to get inoculated to the gospel. And anytime I say that, that music goes off. So <laughs> kind of just drives the point home. But I think that we can get so inoculated to the gospel because we are too familiar with it. And I think that story, and I'm reminded of that story a lot. I heard that story, I guess, probably when I was around college age. I, I could have been in one of the uh, services at our, I went to a Christian school, maybe it was there. But I've, I've rem, I'm reminded of that because Jesus himself talked about the kingdom and brought a child in their midst. Remember when the disciples are bickering and arguing about greatness and, and Jesus just brings a little child in the midst of them and he says, unless you receive the kingdom like one of these, you will by no means enter it. Childlike faith. It's a pretty powerful statement that Jesus made. Because a kid is not going to have a bunch of religious reasoning going on. They're just, it's, it's a simple receptivity, like the little boy stepping in the offering plate and say, here I am. Imagine what went on in heaven that day. Jesus and the angels celebrated. Look at that kid. Wow. And I think that we can be so immune to the gospel like when we worship and we give our hearts, you know, I think we need to be reminded of the power of the gospel of Jesus. There was a man that died for you. Think about those stories, those heroic stories of when somebody gives their life for somebody else, they, or just saves their life. Maybe they don't even trade their life, but, you know, somebody saves someone from drowning. Someone saves somebody from a fiery building. And you hear these stories, and they, these people say, I will never forget what that person did for me. Jesus died for us so that we could live eternally with him. Don't lose the power and the significance of the gospel when you hear the words of Jesus. And that, the reason why I'm saying that is because you're, you're not going to hear from me, you know, something that maybe you've never heard before. 
I think a lot of times we can hear things and we're f- so familiar with a passage or a text, we just kind of mentally check out and, uh, yeah, I've heard that before. And you've probably heard way better sermons on some of this stuff, and that's really not the point. <clears throat> the point is that in a fresh way, we become like little children and we stand in that offering plate and we say, Jesus, here I am, thank you for what you did for me. That was just a commercial, I won't even charge you for that. God, help us to keep the gospel fresh in our hearts. But we're on this, uh, in this series called Authentic, the quest for true faith, genuine Christianity, the real Jesus. And in these few weeks, I started last week, we wanted to look at Jesus specifically and what he said about himself. Uh, before, we talked about, you know, being an authentic follower and, uh, and, and what that means to us and what Christ asks of us as his follower. But what I want to do and I did it last week, is look at some statements that Jesus made of himself. You know, somewhat allowing Jesus to speak for himself. Because as we talked about a little bit about last week, um, there, are, there are lots of things said about him, and there are a lot of different ways that we can form him and shape him that fits kind of where we're at theologically, and you have a lot of doctrines and theology and the study of Christ and who he is and the things that he said and what he taught, and it's really easy sometimes to grab a little portion that we like and, um, and, and, and kind of those things that make us uncomfortable, we push away a little bit. I think it was Mark Twain that says, I'm not worried about the parts of the Bible that I don't understand. What worries me is the parts that I do understand. It's a great quote. And you have all these theological ideas that are out there about Jesus, and I say, let's push that to the side. Let's clear our hearts and clear our minds and just ask Jesus, what do you say about yourself? Because if we're not careful, we get a Jesus of our own making, and Taylor's just in time to go to the next slide. So um, I put this slide up here before, and it's just some different ideas of Jesus, and you know, when people hear Jesus, or they hear the name Jesus, of what goes through their mind, and we all have these programmed responses to things. I did this in a sermon where I talked about dogs and cats. I'm going to save you from that one again. But, uh, but the, there are program responses to everyone. If you just engage in conversation, sometimes it's just cool to ask people, you know, what does Jesus mean to you? When you, when you hear the word Jesus, what, is that, what does that conjure up? And you get all kinds of answers. You know, and people kind of get this idea of, you know, the, the old paintings, the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the upper left, you know, and he's the gentle British guy that was in all the movies that we were growing up with. And, you know, the top middle is, you know, we, these are components. Yes, he was a servant, but he was so much more. You know, top right is the angry Jesus, and maybe people have, you know, that, that's their perception of Jesus that... He just kind of is just irritated with them. And did Jesus get angry? Sure he did, but that, that, that's not it. And, 
you know, the healing Jesus, yes, he healed and, and he touched people and he displayed power, but was that all, all that he did? Was that all that he sums up? The teaching Jesus, he was a great teacher. You'll hear people say that. Well, I believe that Jesus was a great teacher. Because the only problem with that is if he was a great teacher, then you have to see, well, what did he teach? I shared this, um, one of my uh, very close friends of, of myself and Athena, um, when I was in married student housing in, in, at a Christian college that I was at, our neighbors, he was a former Muslim. He had given his life to Christ and wonderful, wonderful couple. And, uh, and I, I just had a really good time talking with him and how he came out of the Muslim faith, became a Christian, and, and now his, you know, his heart is to really reach toward Muslims. And you know, he helped kind of clear up my heart of, of, of you know, some of these preconceived ideas that we can have of you know, just clumping you hear Muslim and you just immediately think something. You know, and he kind of blew me out of the water. He, talking about, you know, he said some of, the, some of his friends, he said some of these people are the kindest people you'll ever meet. It's real easy just to kind of paint them in a picture. And he said, yeah, are there lots of angry ones? Sure, there are. But he's, you know, they're, they're very kind. And, and what he would say sometimes, you know, and, 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 and this is pretty much every religion other than Christianity, but the, the, the Muslim faith is basically it's a scale. You know, it's, it's if your good outweighs your bad, you know, that, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the goal, is you want the, the, the good side to be kind of weighing down. And, and so he would ask him a question, how are you doing with the scale? And he said, universally, I mean, more times than not, it was, I could always be doing better. And he said, it's just, it, and so it's tormenting. And of course, that was always a good segue, is that, that you're trying to do, Jesus said, Done. You're trying to work. Jesus went to the cross, and it's finished. Well, one of the things that most Muslims will say about Jesus is that he was a great teacher. And they would honor him as a great teacher. Well, my friend Alan would say, you have a problem here. Okay, he's a great teacher. Let me show you some of the things that he taught. Because you say he's a great teacher, yet you don't believe this about him, yet this is what he said about himself. And he made bold claims of himself. And so Alan would say, you know, your problem really is it's not me. I'm not, I don't have to defend Jesus. Just look at his words. And then do you still think he's a good teacher? Because he said he was God. Do you still think he's a good teacher? He said he was the Messiah. He said that he was the way to the Father, not Muhammad. Do you still think he's a good teacher? And well, immediately, you know, they have this, because, you know, you don't want to say anything bad about Jesus, but it makes them think. And he had such a, an inroad to their heart, not being mean, but very relational. And so these, these, these ideas of Jesus, the guy in the bottom right-hand corner, I just love that guy. Um, that's just, uh, what is up? You and me right there. I love that. But coming off, and I talked about this last week, but coming off the heels of the Easter celebration, Jesus' resurrection validates everything that he said about himself. If there's no resurrection, then we throw out his teaching and we throw out his claims of himself. 
And so we're looking at these I am statements about Jesus that he specifically said about himself in, in, in John. I'm not going to look at them all, but we're, we looked at one last week, and, and we're going to look at another one this week. But in, you know, what's the significance about when Jesus says, I am? In John 8, he says to the Pharisees, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And I talked about this last week. I'm not going to expound on that. But when he said, before Abraham was, I am, they took up stones to kill him because they understood what he was saying. He was saying, I'm God. Before Abraham was, I am. And that pow- the power, the significance of I am is in Exodus 3 where Moses is talking to God in the burning bush. And Moses says, okay, you're sending me. Who should I say is sending me? And, uh, and, 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 and God says, you tell them I am has sent you, the ever-present one. And so when Jesus says before Abraham was I am, the Pharisees were angry with him and they took up stones. And these guys were, again, they, were, they understood, they were smart, they understood the implications of his statement. So when he makes these statements of I am, something last week was I am the bread of life, he was making a very significant statement of declaring his deity, declaring he was God. And so let's go to the next slide and we'll look at some of these I am statements. These are just things he said. Again, we're not going to look at all of these um, But these are words that he said, I am the bread of life. We looked at that last week. I am the light of the world. I am the door, the gate. We're going to be there today. I'm the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. These are just seven I am statements from Jesus. These are his words. And so today we're going to be looking at his statement, I am the gate And next week, I am the good shepherd. These flow together from John chapter 10. We'll be in John chapter 10. If you want to look in your own Bible, it'll be up on the screen if you like. Um, Nowadays, they're saying open your Bibles or your electronic device that has the Bible on it. So that's kind of neat. Don't be playing games now. If I hear angry birds going, I'm going to get mad at somebody. So all the older folks are going, angry what? It's a really popular game, angry birds. But these flow together, so we'll look at one today and then one next week. And, uh, it says, I am, I am the gate and the good shepherd, John 10. 1 through 18 is the entire passage. We're going to be in 1 through 10 today. But a couple of key passages that come out of that is John 10, 7. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. We're going to look at that specifically today. What Jesus was implying. What did he mean by that? What did he say? And then the other key one is John 10, 11. We'll look at that more in depth next week. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We are the sheep. Next week, we're going to look at what that means in the Bible. By the way, that's not a compliment. (laughs) If you've been around sheep at any point in your life, you know that when we're called sheep, that's not a compliment. But it's powerful, so stay with me. But you hear these two passages, I'm the gate for the sheep, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for sheep. I tell you what, this is the gospel in two phrases, isn't it? Jesus declares himself to be the gate for the sheep and the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, and you and I are those sheep. So we'll be breaking these down this week and next week. But today, let's look at Jesus' claim 
of himself being the gate. Why this metaphor? I am the gate or I am the door. Some translations use the door. Well, I mean, obviously, a door or a gate is a point of access. It's how you get in somewhere or you go out of somewhere. Um, If you notice, and I'm glad that we didn't have any abnormal people, nobody's trying to come through the window when they show up to church on Sunday morning. Because how ridiculous would it be if you heard somebody knocking on this window while we're all sitting here and they said, I'm I'm, I'm here for church, and they're trying to get through the window. We would say, what? There's a door in the back. You can use that, (laughs) please. And so these points of access, these doorways of coming in somewhere, and Jesus says of himself, I am the gate. So we're going to look at this passage. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10 of John chapter 10. Let's look at the text. Again, let's look at what Jesus says of himself as we unpackage this a little bit. So let's go to the passage. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Pharisees, these guys were the teachers, the, the brilliant minds of the day. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. So most people, we would say, are trying to break in your window unless they've locked their keys in the house. That's about the only time that you would go through a different way. He says if they're trying to come in through a different way, they're a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper or watchman, so there's a couple of different interchangeable words that we're going to look at in a little bit. The gatekeeper or the watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice, talking about the shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he, was, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice, or I would put in there, they shouldn't be running after a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So he gave all of that. They didn't really, what are you getting at? And so Jesus says, again, says this, very truly I tell you. In the King James, you have um, like, Verily, verily, or truly, truly. When Jesus ever said those things, when, when you were making an emphatic statement of truly, truly, I tell you, there's more significance than just repeating yourself. He was saying, you really need to catch what I'm about to say. So they didn't understand. He says, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. There's that I am statement. I am the gate for the sheep. Listen to what he says, because he's explaining what he just said before. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life And have it to the full. 
And so this week and next week is very interesting because Jesus says not only is he the gate, and he gives this explanation of what it means to, you know, that, that and I'm going to show you kind of a couple of pictures in a minute of, of how shepherds dealt with their sheep, but he's not only saying I'm the gate, but he's also the shepherd. Remember when we were looking at the, the cross when he said it is finished, he was, the, he was the high priest and the lamb of God. He offered himself for us. So there were two ways that sheep were kept in Jesus' day. Let's go to the first picture. Hopefully you can see that. In town, the sheep were kept in a large communal pen where shepherds would bring their flocks at night. And so it was not uncommon for several flocks that would be mixed together under the care of a watchman. You see the watchman out there in front of the gate. In the morning, the shepherd would walk to the pen, and he would call to their sheep, and the sheep would respond to the voice of the shepherd. So that's why John writes, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to the shepherd's voice, his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And so this is powerful as it relates to next week where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. The sheep recognize his voice. You know that you recognize the voice of someone that you are close to. As parents, we can understand that. As kids, we can understand, you know, and spouses, you can hear a laugh or you can hear an expression from another room and you know who it is. It's like when I'm in my office and I didn't realize that my wife came in and I hear her chatting with the ladies and my heart gives a little flutter. It's my wife. I know that voice. And so the first part of this is that you recognize that what you are close to when Jesus is telling this about being the gate and the shepherd of the sheep. He said the sheep would recognize his voice when you are close to Jesus. You will recognize his voice. And I love this part about the watchman. Because the watchman points the sheep to the shepherd. And you see this guy out there is when the shepherd would come, the watchman, the shepherd would say, the sheep would recognize the shepherd's voice, and the watchman would push the sheep towards the shepherd. As believers in Christ, we are watchmen. In the Old Testament, intercessors were called watchmen on the wall. It was kind of a, you know, I mean, they were literally, they would watch out for the enemy and they would sound the alarm when the enemy was coming. In Ezekiel, you have that picture. So somewhat intercessors of being on behalf of the people. Well, the watchmen say, hey, sheep, there's the shepherd. There's your shepherd. We as the church are, and th those that belong to Christ should be watchmen for those sheep that do not belong to Christ yet. And we should say, there he is. We should always be pointing people to Christ. There's the shepherd. Be close to him and you will recognize his voice because he loves you. So we are the watchmen to point people to Christ. 
He is the great shepherd, and he is the gate. The second way the sheep were kept in Jesus' day. Let's go to the next picture. This is very cool. Hopefully, you can make it as a little bit darker picture. I thought this was a very cool picture. See in the bottom there, there's the shepherd. See him at the, at the doorway? When the flock was in a field or the countryside, shepherds would make makeshift pens without a door. They would have an opening. A lot of times it was rocks. This was probably a more a, a nicer one. Sometimes they would find a, 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 maybe a rock cliff side and they would kind of build around that. But it's interesting that the door, the shepherd himself became the door. He would literally become the gateway for the sheep to go in and out. And so he was a place of safety. See him there with his staff to keep predators out. It was a place of protection, a place of safety. It kept the sheep from wandering out unattended. Some of the sheep that can get a little stubborn and they want to go their own way and he would keep them in there and he himself would be the gate because wandering for a sheep was very dangerous. So they had to go through the door, the shepherd himself. So Jesus says, I am the gate. So he tells the kind of the story, remember? And then they didn't get it. And he says, very truly, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. So what was he saying when he made this statement? Let's go through these. Number one, it was a statement of exclusivity. When he made these I am statements, he was making statements that were exclusive of himself. Last week we talked about I am the bread of life. He didn't say that there were different loaves to life. Pick your own loaf. Pick your favorite bread. With the whole wheat people, the wonder bread people, European hard on the outside flaky on the inside. Everybody's getting hungry when I'm talking about that, right? <clears throat> but when he said that, he was saying, I am the bread. If you want life, you want to fill the hunger of your soul, you want to fill the hunger of your heart, I am the bread of life. He didn't make any apologies for being exclusive of what he said about himself. And I know this in culture, it's kind of uncomfortable because you have a lot of people that go, well, I, I, I kind of I like Jesus, but I don't like his exclusive statements. I like, I like when he veers more into just love and care, and we, we, we like him to be a little less confrontational and, you know, and, and not so emphatic, but you can't just put words to it or pick parts of Jesus that you like and throw away the rest. And that does not mean that the church should grab hold of the exclusive statements of Christ and that make us have a spirit of pride. But this is what Jesus said of himself, so he made exclusive statements of himself, that he's the only way to God. I am the gate. I mean, so emphatic, as he says, there's some have come before me, they're thieves and robbers. If you're trying to find a different gate... If you're trying to find a different way, that's a thief and a robber. They will steal from you. Jesus did not say there are many gates. There are many doors. Just pick one. 
Pick your favorite gate. It all leads to the same place. He didn't say that. These are his words. Study him. Jesus says, I am the gate. And then the cross references Matthew 7. Isn't this an interesting passage where Jesus says, I am the gate. So then what does he say? Enter through the narrow gate. So what was he saying there? Enter through me. Why was it narrow? Because there's only one. The invitation's to everyone to come through that gate. Matthew 7, these are Jesus' words. If you're offended with me today, take it up with him, not me. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. His words. But when he said, I am the gate, it was a statement of exclusivity. Number two, just so that we don't miss that, it was a statement of intimacy and relationship too. Notice he's saying, and this is the ideal, what he's talking about, he says, notice the sheep did not listen to the thieves and the robbers. It says they know the voice of the shepherd. This is what Jesus wants for his people. I want you to recognize my voice. I'm calling to you. I'm drawing you to myself. Don't run after other things. They will not satisfy you. Be close to me. You will recognize my voice. And so Jesus invites us to relationship with himself. And his door is always open. The gate is always open. And he invites us into relationship with himself. Revelation 3.20 Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus saying, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It's talking relationships. And we often use this verse for salvation and it's appropriate, but it is written to the church and the invitation was for intimate fellowship with Christ. So it's a statement of intimacy and relationship that the sheep would know his voice I shared this at Charlie Williams' funeral yesterday, but you know, you look at Psalm 23 when David said, the Lord is my shepherd. David himself was a shepherd and a, a good shepherd, what Jesus calls himself is he knows the sheep individually. He knows the ones that are a little more fearful and skittish. He knows the ones that tend to wander and he knows us personally. And so this was a statement of intimacy and fellowship when he said, I am the gate. Number three, it was a statement of salvation. It was a statement of salvation. To repeat his words again, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be what? Saved. Whoever enters through me will be saved. You want to know how to get salvation? You go to Christ. You look at the cross and the payment that he made for us. So Jesus is a saving door. Whoever enters through him will be saved. And again, to tie to number one, you can't go around Jesus. You can't bypass Jesus. You can't try to figure out how to get there a different route or route, depending on where you're from. And Jesus was saying, you have to come through me. There's not many ways. This is the narrow gate. I know it sounds narrow. I know it sounds exclusive, and it's meant to. And I 
Don't apologize for saying that, but I'm inviting you to true life. Come through the gate, you'll be saved. And you have to go through Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. So it's more than just a profession. It is a transformed belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And then scripture is very clear that salvation is found in no other person than Jesus, Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. This is an emphatic statement from Scripture. So it was a statement of salvation. And fourthly, it was this. It was a statement to invite us to a rich, full, satisfied life in Christ. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, he will come in and go out and find pasture. So the imagery here is that the sheep are safe when the shepherd is present. The sheep can come into the pen and feel safe. They can go out and look for pasture, and they are safe when they are with the shepherd. I love the Message Bible. John 10, 9 says this. Says Jesus says, I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and go out and find pasture. Life. So the sheep are are safe to move about and find the shepherd's provision. And so in the same way as sheep, we are safe to come in and go out to find pasture. We are safe and secure from the enemy. And we can feast on the wonderful things that the relationship of Jesus brings to us. That he is fulfilling, that he is satisfying. There's nothing else like relationship with him. And so you have a tie here between discipleship and relationship to know him through the word of God, to know him through prayer, to know him through the power of the spirit, to, and to fellowship with other people, our fellow sheep, to go out and find pasture together, to enjoy life together. And so those of us who know the Lord, we need to be aware that the door leads to a deeper relationship with him. And we need to be intentional about going into that relationship to grow deeper and to find pasture. What does that mean? It's to finding livelihood. It's to find food for our soul. We go out into these lush pastures that are found in Christ. And also that we need to remember that Jesus wants us to come in and go out. Do you hear that? Here's the vision of the church right there. Reach up, reach out. Because what has Jesus said? Come in and go out. We come in and we find pasture and we find growth and we find encouragement, but we stir one another up to go out, not just stay in. And with the shepherd, now it's not about independently wandering off. That's how sheep get killed. But with the shepherd around us, we are safe to go and live for him and to serve others because we're called to go out. And Jesus says that you will, the sheep will come in and go out to serve, to give, to love, in word and deed, to point people to the gate.
to the shepherd. And sometimes that's risky. You know, at times when the shepherd would lead the sheep, there were times when they were kind of wide open. But guess what? The safe place was to stay in the flock around the shepherd and not wander off, not doing our own thing, but coming together with the shepherd. And so Jesus concludes this thought with the mission of the enemy and his mission. Notice at the beginning of this, he said, those that had gone before me are thieves and robbers. And he wants to tell you a little bit about what the enemy does. Here's the job description of the devil. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants you to have the most satisfying life that you can know on the earth as well as in heaven. And it's found in him. And so thieves sneak into sheep pens really for only a couple reasons. They want to steal the sheep or they want to kill the sheep. It's a destructive path. So the thieves that Jesus may have been referring to at this time were maybe false prophet or the Pharisees. Because remember, he, in Matthew, I mean, uh, in, in, in Matthew 23, when he's dealing with the Pharisees, he has some hard words for them. He says, you know, you guys, you guys make a convert and then turn them into twice the sons of hell as yourself, not pretty words for the Pharisees. So he may have been talking about that you guys are like thieves and robbers. You know, you sound really good, but you're really just trying to pick off sheep here. And he warns of false prophets and destructive teachings. But the devil himself is referred to as the thief looking to destroy us. And here's how the devil goes about that. By whatever means necessary. Just as God has a plan for your life, the enemy has a plan for your destruction. He hates you. He hates that you are created in the image of God. Whenever he looks at you, it reminds him of God because you are created in the image of God. And so he will go at your weakest point, and we all have those vulnerabilities in our lives, and we have to stay on guard. That's why we have to stay close to the shepherd, because the enemy of the shepherd, the enemy of the sheep is out for our destruction. And he can only get to us if we wander off and we're doing our own thing. We get away from the the flock, we get away from the shepherd. He also can get us out there on, with religion, going after temporary sinful things that only lead to emptiness, the stuff the world has to offer, the pride of life. You know, to the enemy, it really doesn't matter to him. Whatever bait that he can get you with is fine for him, whatever means necessary. And that's why it's so important when we understand the part where the intimacy part of the gate is staying close to the shepherd, coming into the gate, coming into the pasture, and finding relationship with Christ and staying close to him and asking him for direction. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We should be talking to the Holy Spirit every day. We should, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He will give you power. 
We should make it a part of our prayer life is to talk, Holy Spirit, give me power to live like Christ, to become more like Jesus. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says this about the enemy. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's interesting, that metaphor of the enemy. You know how cats of prey go after go after their prey is they, they, they don't just run into a whole herd. They will get trampled to death. Is they look for one that is off on its own or they try to separate him from the flock and then that is the one that they're going to go after every time. Be very cautious about getting independent and getting off on your own. That's why we need God and we need others desperately. Peter says, be controlled and alert. One translation says, be sober-minded. So this is a warning. You need to take this very seriously. The devil will try to pick you off. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with God. The enemy will still try to pick you off. And we have to be sober-minded. And so a life in pursuit of things other than a life in Jesus leaves us empty and searching for meaning and purpose. And Jesus comes again. He says, I, I have come that you might have life. So he gives the, the devil's job description. And then he says what he is. He said, I have come. The enemy comes to do this, but I have come that you might have life. The most satisfying life possible. That there's more to this life than just getting by and then one day you die and go be with Jesus. And so Jesus comes to give us abundant life, full and rich and deeply satisfying. And then, I mean, ultimately he promises to give us eternal life with him forever after we die, which is amazing. And so the question is this, what gate do you find yourself at today? What gate do you gaze at? Where are you trying to find life? Why, where, are you, where, where are you trying to find pasture? Because a lot of times we can go to those gates and, and we're looking in longingly and it can be a temporary fulfillment and it can be things of this world. It can be maybe notoriety, maybe even spiritual things that are just not satisfying. And Jesus says, I am the gate. Come into me. I will give you life like you've never known. So Jesus stands as the access point, the entry point to having a rich, full, satisfying, meaningful, abundant life. And he says, you get that through me. So what gate are you at today? What gate are you at today? And he says this. To us, as he said, then I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And so what will your response be? What will your response be today? Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we come into your presence, Lord. We just thank you for the life that you offer us. Abundant life. I have come that you might have life. 
Lord, that you satisfy better than anything of this world has to offer. 